This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Indeed, this morning, church, we are hearing a story about a man who could not help himself. As we continue in this series on what it is to be a family of faith, we are a family of faith here at Apex, four campuses. Apex United Methodist Church, Fiesta Cristiana, 519, and The Peak. We are unique branches on a beautiful family tree, and yet we share the same root system. Our DNA, what makes us us at our foundation, is such that if you spent time with us individually or all together, you would see the makeup of what makes us the Apex family of faith communities. And this morning, specifically, we give thanks for 519, for who, anybody know the 519, like their mission statement, their tagline? Uh, One, two, three, love well and live differently. I heard some people say it. Love well and live differently. And as they were crafting a vision for what it would be to plant a new church in the Morrisville, Cary area, they came to this scripture from the fifth chapter of Luke, verse 19. Luke chapter 5, verse 19, as their foundational scripture for who they would strive to be as a church. I want to share that scripture with you this morning. It will be in Luke chapter 5, and we'll go back to verse 17. So Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease, that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I must admit that when we started planning this sermon series and I realized that we would have a Sunday where we would get to preach this specific story out of Luke chapter 5, I got very excited because it's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Now, I believe that how we engage God's Word is an important, it's an important spiritual practice for us to develop, that we would read Scripture daily, that, that we would pray over Scripture, that we would ask how God is speaking to us through the words of Scripture. And there are many different ways from which you can come and study the Word of God. And what I find is that no matter how many times I read certain passages of the Bible, whether I read them 
10 years ago or 20 years ago or 20 years from now, they will carry a relevance and sometimes a freshness that I did not know. That might be because of life experience or, or whatever. But scripture is just constantly relevant for us today. And one of the ways that I like to engage scripture, I've, I've said this to, to you all before, is I like to look at the passage and ask myself the question, where am I in this story? Or who am I in this story? And experience the scripture through that lens. And so today I want to take us through this exercise as we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, really focusing on verse 19 and asking the question, how is this scripture so foundational to who we are as disciples of Jesus, to who we are as people who are a family of faith, who worship alongside our sisters and brothers at 519 and the ministry that they strive to do? But I believe this word can offer us hope as well as challenge this morning. And I'll start by saying when I read this scripture, I like to come at it from three different perspectives or three different viewpoints and try to find myself in the story. The first is the perspective of the paralytic, the paralyzed man in the scripture. Now, I have never experienced physical paralysis. Maybe some of you have. I have close friends and family members who have experienced paralysis of some sort. I have seen the ways that they have worked through that to become incredibly independent and joyful people, and I've also seen the ways that that paralysis has at times left them completely hopeless and even helpless at times. And while I've never experienced it physically, I know that at many points throughout my life, I have experienced what I might consider to be a paralysis of faith. A paralysis of faith. Points in my faith journey where I was so numb to what God was doing, to how God was active, that I might struggle to even articulate where God is in the world or how God was working in my life. And I don't think it's just one moment. I think throughout this journey of faith, I've had many moments like that. Many, maybe, as you're sitting here, you can think of moments where you have experienced, perhaps, a paralysis of faith. Maybe after a family member or yourself received a diagnosis that struck you Maybe after you experienced some trauma or loss or you were wrestling with a question that you didn't know the answer to or a decision that you didn't know how to make. Maybe you have experienced a paralysis of faith before. I've experienced it many times. The one that was most strong actually came in my first year of seminary. Now, I will tell you that four days before leaving for seminary, I made the best and most incredible decision to propose to my now wife, which was great, except I was leaving for seminary in four days. And for my wife, someone who, who her family, 
Her whole world had always been in Tampa, Florida. Her dad is one of nine. She has like a million cousins. I still don't know all their names. Yeah, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't know all their names. I proposed to her, and then we engaged in a long-distance relationship for a year. And I wish I could tell you that it was all cupcakes and flowers and rainbows and roses, but it just wasn't. And I moved up from Florida to North Carolina. I had really close friends in Florida, some of which came to seminary alongside me, but I just struggled to find some connection. And with that struggle to find connection and with the fact that I just missed home and I missed Amy, I just started to think, what am I even doing here? <laughs> Why did I move up to North Carolina to pursue this crazy thing called ministry? And as I continued to live up here, and as, I, and as I continued to realize that as a music major in undergrad, I didn't do a lot of paper writing, so as I waded through the waters of learning how to research and, and write and not always getting back the grades that I had been accustomed to getting back and, and dealing with all of this, I just came to a place where I was ready to just call it quits and go home. And I remember having a conversation with my father where I told him, I said, I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I just don't think I can do this. I don't even know if I want to go to church. I don't even know if I want to read my Bible. I don't even know if I want to pray. And I was reading scripture every single day, but it was just for purely academic purposes. I was just learning for the sake of going to school. Thank God for a discerning friend who, though I did not spend a lot of time getting close with him during my first semester in seminary, he knew me from Florida. And he knew the Angelo that he knew in Florida was not the same as the Angelo he was seeing at Duke. And so one day we were in chapel and he just asked me, he asked me that great question, how are you, but he didn't settle for fine. How are you really? And I started to explain to him how I was thinking I was not going to come back for the second semester. I was going to go home. I'd already started to look at jobs. I started to look at grad school programs for music, just anything that could get me out of this. And he just very confidently looked at me and said, you're not quitting this semester. You're going to give it the rest of the year at least. And he and some other friends came alongside me and they carried me to Jesus. I could not walk there on my own. They carried me to Jesus. I was the paralytic, and they carried me to Jesus. How have you been carried to Jesus? What have been those moments in your life where you have experienced a paralysis of faith such that you needed people to come alongside you you needed to lie down on the mat, and you needed to know that even if it meant they had to cut a hole in some roof, like they were going to carry you through the season to Jesus to experience healing and renewal. A few months after I had that conversation, 
I started to intern at the peak. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I had friends that carried me to Jesus. Who has carried you to Jesus? When has that season in your life occurred? Can you name it? Can you articulate it? Have you shared it with those you love, with your children, with your friends? How have you been carried to Jesus? The second perspective is this. If the first one is the paralytic, the second are the friends. They're the friends. The ones who stopped at nothing. Their buddy could not walk. But they put him on a mat and they carried him and they climbed up to this roof and they cut a hole in it. Part of our response as we grow in our faith, as we grow as disciples of Christ, is when we experience these seasons of people who carry us to Jesus, we then finally get to Jesus and we say, okay, who's next? Who can I carry? Over the last four years, I had the privilege of serving Swansboro United Methodist Church as their associate pastor. And while we were there, there was a man in the church named John. We're going to call him John this morning. That's not actually his name, but we'll call him John. And John was a homeless man. He lived in the woods behind the Piggly Wiggly. John loved coming to church. He loved coming to church for a few reasons. First, he knew that God was going to be there. Second, he also knew that there would be coffee and donuts there. And people that would greet him with a smile. Our church community loved John. Countless members of the church opened up guest rooms to John. They offered John employment. They offered John financial help. They offered to come alongside John and carry him to Jesus in so many ways. But John struggled with addictions, and John struggled with how he was raised and how his family abandoned him. So part of his reflex to when people went and tried to connect with him was that he would just run. He would run at the first sign of like any real relationship being formed. And eventually he just stopped accepting the, accepting the help. He wouldn't take anyone up on their offer to stay in their guest room. He wouldn't take anyone up on their offer to give them jobs on the side. He just wanted to come to church on Sunday morning sing some songs, and then go back behind the Piggly Wiggly. Now, several of our church members actually went and visited him. And one night, specifically, John had been getting sick and wouldn't listen to anyone tell him to go to the hospital. Well, finally, we decided that it wasn't up to him. This lady was with John, and she called the ambulance called 911. And the ambulance came, and right before the ambulance took him away, the lady prayed with John. And John thanked the lady. He thanked her and he said, y'all have been my family. Thank you so much. 
John died that night. He would have died behind the Piggly Wiggly. Thank God that someone from our church went out to check on him. Now, the following week, after a whole week of trying to find this man's family, reaching out to them, nobody wanting to come, be part of any service, check in on him in any way, we had a memorial service for John at the church. And for this man that lived behind the Piggly Wiggly, the church was full. And we shared stories that made us laugh and that made us cry. And I believe wholeheartedly that even while John stopped accepting the help, I believe that that church family came around him when he was lying down on the mat and picked him up and helped carry him to Jesus. Such that the last thing he would tell us was how thankful he was for the love that we had shown him. And that he would ask for prayer. When have you carried others to Jesus? When have you carried others to Jesus? The last perspective is sometimes the hardest to swallow. There's a crowd there. There's a crowd there who want to hear Jesus. They want to hear Jesus so much. They want to experience the teaching of Jesus so much. They've heard so much about this man that they fill a house to the point where nobody can get in. The crowd unintentionally, has created a barrier. A barrier such that if anyone else wanted to engage Jesus that wasn't already there in the crowd, they would have to climb the building and cut a hole in the roof. The crowd got in the way. How have we gotten in the way? How have we gotten in the way at times? Intentionally or unintentionally? Of people experiencing the radical love and mercy and grace of Jesus. How have we established barriers? Barriers perhaps for ourselves in our hearts. Barriers in our churches. Barriers in society. where we're so focused on Jesus that we can't see everyone else trying to get to him. That is the ethic of this whole passage. That we would be people who would seek to take away the barriers. that we would be focused on Jesus, but we wouldn't be so focused that we couldn't also see that there are others trying. There are others trying to get to Jesus as well. That's part of what love well, live differently means. That's part of why this passage has become the foundation, not just for the 519 campus, but 
It's really an ethic for our whole church. We desire to make clear paths for people to experience this incredible love and grace that we have also experienced so that we might not just say we have been carried to Jesus and we might not just say we have also carried others, but we might say that we got out of the way as well. One of the ways we do that is through our focus on being a church of radical mission and deep discipleship. This morning we have a video we want to share with you. A man named David Shaw, he's a member at 519, and he's going to tell you a story about an incredible ministry that 519 does in Haiti. Check it out. Back in March, we took a team down to Haiti, and it was a great experience. I'd never been on a mission trip, and to go with this group of people, it was really great. Um, we were able to see about 330 patients. We handed out about 1,300 prescriptions. So we had a translator with us, and I'd had a, a person that, one of my first patients that morning, I was talking to them about their prescription, and I'm a pharmacist, so I was talking to them and counseling them on their prescription through Dennis, the interpreter. So later that day, I had a, um, another lady um, I was talking to and she was, just wasn't getting it. You know, she wasn't getting the twice a day type thing or whatever I was talking to her about. And this lady just gets up and in her loud Haitian voice, you know, just starts speaking to me in Creole. And I was like, oh gosh, here I go again, I've done it again. You know, so I motioned for her to have a seat and she sits down. and. <laughs> In a minute, she stands up again, and she's speaking again in Creole, and I said, Dennis, can you have her just have a seat? You know, I'll be with her in a minute. And he went, no, 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 David. When, when she gets home, she's gonna play music and, and thank God for what we're doing. And at that moment, I knew that, that I was receiving the blessing. To the church in, in a whole, as a whole, it, um, it involves everyone. We, had, we took bags over that the ladies um, had made that were um, stuffed with goodies for, for the people there in Haiti. Um, so we had that impact. We had the multiple people um, coming from different you know, paths um, to go over to Haiti. Um, I think that with the church um, providing funds, um, support, mission work, um, helps us just to reach out and support those brothers and sisters of Christ. So for each sermon in our sermon series, the, the pastor of the respective campus got to share kind of a big idea um, as to why they picked the scripture that they did. And here's what Pastor Owen wanted to share with us today. Almost all of us have been the beneficiary of someone else's work to place us at the feet 
of Jesus. It is now our job to make the path clear and do whatever we must to get people where they can be healed. Let's allow others to see our faith. Three questions for you this morning. How have you been carried to Jesus? How have you been engaged in the work of carrying others? How have we gotten in the way at times? Maybe the fourth question, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? I believe these questions are relevant to all of us. I think they're questions we can, we can talk about with our kids, with our spouses, with our friends, with our small groups. How have we experienced the work of Jesus in our lives and the work of others in our lives as well? That's what I want to leave you with this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen.